Each and every Sunday we gather to worship, but why do we worship the way that we do? I'm Rebecca Garrett-Pace, and this is The Day After Sunday, a look at the why behind the worship. Good morning, Phil. And good morning, Rebecca. How are you today? Doing all right. Happy Monday. It is a Monday indeed. <laughs> the day after Sunday, as we say. Um, as we say each week, if you didn't get a chance to join us for worship, um, feel free to go back and find us either on our Facebook um, page or on our YouTube channel. You can find yesterday's worship in total. Um, and then throughout the week, I usually kind of deconstruct our service as well, and you'll be able to find the, um, the sermon. Typically goes up on Wednesday, and then on Thursday or Friday, I post at least one or two of the music pieces. So if you don't have time to watch the whole thing, which we hope you will, um, you can always catch pieces of it by checking our social media too. Yeah. So yesterday we were not in a series. Um, we are last week, All Saints, and then the next, you know, the two Sundays, 14th and 21st, are sort of this in-between time before we hit Advent. And so we are taking the time to explore a few of Jesus's parables. Um, <clears throat> and that's really been kind of our theme within a theme, you know, whenever mm-hmm. we have time during the course of the year that we're not in a series, then we return to Jesus's parables and just sort of like take some take some time in there. So yesterday was... Theme beyond the theme. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday was the lost coin and the lost sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Mitchell said in his sermon, that he's usually paired with the lost son, mm-hmm. but that is such a, uh, a more complex and longer parable that mm-hmm. usually if you try to read all three, you're going to naturally focus on the one that has the most detail and so by leaving out that one he allowed us to just create some space for the two sort of little parables that sort of get forgotten sometimes um but yeah but i wanted to draw attention right away to since we're not in a series um we don't have a graphic per se but we did have a visual that accompanied yesterday's worship that we'll also see again next week um and it's it's really cool it reminds me of a patchwork quilt Mm. um but that's not the only interpretation that you could get from it, right? That's one of the things about art is that everybody has their own interpretation. Um, but you found that image, right, Phil? Yeah, I did. And it's it's funny because, well, this goes into like worship planning as a whole, right? That like the graphic can say a whole lot without even meaning for it to say a whole lot sometimes um, and can communicate. You know, there's just, we, we communicate a lot verbally in, in church, especially. Um, the graphic can help us communicate a little bit visually as well. And, you know, I think this was an image that I found on, like, was Unsplash. Who knows? Like, one of these, like, free websites you can go on. Um, But I I say this pretty regularly that whenever I think of parables, I think of kind of like a piece of abstract art. And it doesn't always have to be abstract. Even non-abstract art can can be this way. But you can look at it and see something totally different, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I can stare at a piece of abstract art and even, like, looking at it one day and looking into the next day, I can see something totally different, much less I can look at it one day and have somebody looking at it with me and they can see something totally different too. Right. And so when I think of parables, I think of the same thing that that beauty is in the eye of the beholder kind of right. This idea that the interpretation of it from, from each individual can take us in so many different directions. And we saw it in Bible study on Wednesday. We see each time we come to the parables that there's just so many different interpretations we can take by examining through a different lens and by, um, our own human experiences, right? Like our experiences lead us to a different understanding. And so, so that's what led me to choose that piece. And it's super simple, right? It's just a, again, it's just a piece of artwork that I threw the word parable on, right? It's very simple, (laughs) but it, it definitely communicates something way deeper that we see throughout the parables. Yeah. Mitchell added another 
as he said, uh, a metaphor to explain a metaphor, which right. gets a little bit in the weeds sometimes. But yeah. um, he added another metaphor for us, which is that of a kaleidoscope, um, which I think is something that a lot of people know what it is. But at the same time, I don't remember the last time I looked at a kaleidoscope. Do you? I mean, I, mean, I don't just have one hanging around my house. Yeah. So that was, yeah. Because I don't know if my, uh, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know if my kids have even ever looked through a kaleidoscope. Are the, are the days of the kaleidoscope dying? I don't know. I mean, I would say most adults know what they are. And at least, you know, you have this visual in your mm-hmm. head, right? Because it's it's become not just a thing, but a description of a visual experience. Yeah. So the kaleidoscopic effect is Ooh. anything that takes, you know, it takes an image and then shifts it slightly so that it becomes, you know, these huge interlocking patterns. And I know, uh, like, adult coloring books have become a huge trend in the last probably five or six years. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a whole category of coloring that is uh, mandalas or kaleidoscopes, you know, that that focus on these patterns um, that allow you creativity uh, and interpretation, and yet there is a constancy to it. That's something that stands out to yeah. me. Yeah, I mean, I I do appreciate the whole notion of, yeah, everybody looks at it, can get their own thing, but I think there has to be some sort of bedrock or constancy mm-hmm. or cornerstone, if you will. Like, um, the parables, I'm sure, are up for interpretation, and yet I think there are deeper truths that if Jesus were here among us today, he would hope that we would get, you know? Um, so it's walking this line between, oh, any any interpretation is fine. Do whatever you want. Read it however you want. And also, are we looking for these deeper truths that are, that are true, capital T? Um, and so that's what comes forth to me in this, in the idea of like a kaleidoscope is that there is pattern in it. Sure. There are patterns of colors and there are patterns of shapes. Um, even though it's so rich and complex that everyone can focus on something different, there are constants that remain the same. Yeah, that's interesting because even though there's a ton of ways to interpret them, doesn't mean all the interpretations, and I don't want to use the word right because we love dichotomies of right and wrong, but um, there are some that are probably more right and some that are probably way more wrong, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and not knowing context or not understanding like, like Mitchell's breaking down of this idea of sinners versus righteous people, you know, mm-hmm. gives us a really better understanding and a, a better context of what it means that like sinners weren't just like, oh, well, we're all sinners and, you know, are in need of repentance. No, it's like sinners were like the, the, the people that everybody knew were like not real good people. Almost like yeah. it's almost a caricaturization of what it meant to be a sinner in the gospel of Luke. And I think Luke does this a lot. He does it with Pharisees um, where they, they play this like characterization of the quintessential like law-abiding mm-hmm. person that takes things so black and white and yeah it's sort of stock character i mean if in, yeah, in literary terms or in you know tv show terms it would be a stock character right um and you preached about this uh, a couple years ago when you preached mm-hmm. about the disciples wandering through the grain fields yeah. i remember this very clearly because i had never heard this interpretation of it um but you said you know what were the Pharisees doing, like stalking the disciples through the grain fields? It wasn't actually them, probably. It was this idea of this like stock character Pharisee that would find fault. Yeah. It wasn't that they were literally walking through the grain fields with the disciples, because had they been, they too would have been not honoring the Sabbath, right? That's right. Yeah. And so, I yeah, it's I like, think it's they this. Pick some grain and eat it, and they're like, Quit. pop up out of nowhere. What are you doing? All right. You can do that. It's Sabbath. <laughs> like, what is happening here? Yeah. So I think yeah. that's that's a good call. I mean, the sinner 
which we can get into this too. I yeah. Mitchell sort of made a passing comment about Protestants being like super into being sinners. And I think we can take a whole <laughs> podcast and unpack that. Um, because not all Protestants are Calvinist. Calvinist is what we think of as being the like total depravity. We are yep. all horrible, doomed to fail. Um, I think Calvin was definitely an Enneagram one. Um, <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but anyways, the we, the point that I was trying to make yeah. was, uh, yeah, this this notion that sin, we're all sinners, quote unquote, is almost a throwaway phrase too. And then when Mitchell helped us kind of dig down deeper into that to say, yeah. actually, no, sinners meant a very specific thing and righteous meant a very specific thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are the righteous. Right. Right. We go to church, yeah. we do programming, we record podcasts, we preach sermons, we sing in the choir, um, and can even the righteous be lost? That was yeah. his main question. Which is a really, like, I think I typed in the chat on, on I was like, oof, that's a, <laughs> that, that one hits hits home right there. Because um, the rhetorical question obviously being, yeah, absolutely we can, you know? Yeah. Of course we're lost in different ways. and. Um, and that's why the parables, are, I think, are so beautiful, too, because even though it's directed at, quote, directed at one group of people, clearly it pulls in something here that, that catches us on the other side, too. You know, like there's mm-hmm. just a really powerful piece to that in this idea of what does it mean to be lost? And mm-hmm. so. Certainly I have felt lost many times, and it's, it's to differing degrees. I'm actually mm-hmm. reading Barbara Brown Taylor's book, An Altar in the World, um, and she has a whole couple of chapters that are devoted to uh, practicing, like, developing the skill of being lost. Oh, wow. <laughs> and she She's says, so you know, yeah, she says you can you can focus on that literally, and that actually hones those skills. You can take a different route home, or you can walk through a field and instead of on the sidewalk. Um, you can purposefully get a little bit lost physically, but also what does it mean to allow yourself to get lost um, spiritually or emotionally, and then what will you find? Um, on those uncharted paths. I love her. My gosh. Yeah. She, her <laughs> ability to take something that we've almost like demonized or we assume is such a bad thing. Like she did the same thing with darkness, right? Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. learning to walk in the dark. She just, she is so brilliant in her ability to take those things that we've often put a negative connotation to and say like, but no, there's really a great offering for us here in the midst of this. Like she's mm-hmm. just amazing. Ugh. She's a sage that I would sit at her feet all day long and just let her teach me all the wonderful things of the world. Well, go to Georgia. Pretty sure she's still a professor down there, isn't she? Or has she retired I think she now? she retired. Yeah. Okay. I think. I think she did. I, got, I did get to hear her speak a couple of years ago at a preaching conference, and it was just as good as I hoped it would be. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, this. I think the parables of the lost coin, which you also... Uh, you kind of acted out with Keith in the children's time. Um, that would, uh, I think that's probably one of the, we've had a lot of wheels off children's times. So I don't even know. I don't know if that would make the top five. It might make the top 10 of the most wheels off children's times um, with Keith doing a, a disappearing magic trick and a couple different kids exclaiming that they, they saw him put the coin in his pocket. So it wasn't as magical as he wanted it to be. So Sweet child. Like, okay, just stop talking. <laughs> you're, you're ruining the magic. Yeah, what was the it idea like was, for you and Keith? Yeah, to, to walk through that. You know, so uh, again, because the parables are so complex, um, 
there there is a surface level reading, and I don't mean surface level in that like it's not there's not still good truth at the surface level. There there definitely is. Um, but I was trying to figure out how do you convey a truth of something like the parable of the lost coin to children, and so I I made up this whole story, right? <gasps> preachers, preachers, a uh, hack here. The sermon that I t- the little little sermon that I told about this coin being lucky and the Cardinals won after I found it is totally made up. Um, <laughs> this what is I the did, real the truth behind this the worship <laughs> right. service. You yes. are you are really getting the the secrets behind it, but the idea being that like. Uh, I had this really coin that was just like any other dime. So we had three dimes, but I said, you know, there's these three dimes, but this one's really special to me because I had been to a couple different Cardinals games when I was a kid, St. Louis Cardinals, and they had lost every time I went, which actually was, I think, pretty was actually true. Um, but then the next time I went, I found a dime outside the stadium, and when I went in, they won, and so I just knew this was a lucky dime, and so I held on to it ever since, knowing that it was going to be a lucky dime. And so then... Uh, Keith went back to collect all the coins and, and he, you know, he had them put in his hand like he was had it cupped and he, you know, and then he's like, oh, I must make sure that, and he said, oh, what happened to the coins? They disappeared. And I was like, Keith, you lost my lucky coin, you know? And he was like, I don't know where it went. It disappeared. And this little girl was like, you have a fake thumb on. I saw you put it in there. It's like, oh my God. Uh, but then I tried to pull it back of like, you know, that's a really special coin to me. I'm not going to make you all search it all day and night like the, the woman in, in the parable does, but... Uh, I will tell you, if we find it, I will be really excited that you found my lost coin and we'll have to celebrate together. And and I try to then get in this idea of repentance and that like, that's what the whole parable talks about, that when one one person repents, there's joy in heaven because uh, that person was lost and is found. And lost doesn't always mean like, oh, I can't find it. It's actually gone. Lost can mean being wayward. And like, how do you explain that to kids in like two minutes? Um, but yeah. I, I tried to wrap some of those things in there uh, of this idea of like, yeah, whenever you get back on track, like there is great celebration because, you know, you've, you're not on the, going in the direction that, that God intended you for, to go on. But when you get back on it, then yeah, parents are going to celebrate and say, hooray, you're back on track, you know, and there's great mm-hmm. joy in that. And so I kept trying to emphasize joy. I don't know if it came across that way, but that was the, the hope of what I was trying to do with the lost coin. And yeah, it was rails off and I don't think it really worked as well as I'd hoped it would. <laughs> Well, that's part of it, right? And uh, I think, you know, there's there's a lot of theology words in there. You use repentance, you use wayward, right? right? And so... Totally. Um, it's, I think, the notion, too, of unpacking that for kids. Uh-huh. What does that mean? Um, and for adults, too, you know? Um, we make a lot of assumptions that yeah. when people come to church, they're in a headspace that they're ready to get... Uh, to receive a lot of rich stuff. And sometimes, just like food, sometimes we need a little bit of a simpler... Um, a simpler meal. We can't mm-hmm. we can't handle all the rich food all at once. Um, so I I think about that a lot. Like something as simple as if a sheep goes missing, God's gonna look for you. You yeah. know, and that's that's a really simple takeaway that I can hold on to when I feel really lost. Sure. Um, but speaking of food, I'm pretty sure Mitchell was hungry yesterday, or if not, he was making me hungry because that's he so made like six references to food in about the first two minutes of his sermon he talked did you notice that i didn't care i remember him making the one about weird donuts or like not not quality donuts or something but no he talked about like the the two short parables of lost sheep lost coin are like appetizers then he changed it to they're like vegetables and the parable of the prodigal son is more like the main dish or the meat then he said something about i lost him a little bit lost um he said something about, you know, cultivar coffee and, and subpar donuts. And I was yeah, like, dang, Mitchell, you're making me donuts. hungry. <laughs> so funny. 
So. That yeah. <laughs> you know, I, we say all the time in Bible study too that we we bring our own stuff, we bring our own baggage to the space each time we come to read the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is we bring our own stuff to worship too, and sometimes it's just hangry, right? We just bring <laughs> a hangry nature to. And it ends up coming out in weird metaphors about food. But, yeah, no, it it was it was a it was a good sermon. I I really liked that he did challenge um, challenge us to rethink this idea of what it meant to be righteous and and sinners. Mm-hmm. And um, I I very much appreciated that. And I just I in general appreciated that he focused on those two parables and didn't get the parable of the um, prodigal son. I don't want to say distracted by it because it's obviously a great parable too. But but just shifting our focus to that I thought was really really great. So yeah. Um, to fill in worship. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to change the subject. Well, I was too. I was going to say to fill in. Like, I would love to know your like your thoughts on the music that was picked to go along with, and like the um, call to worship and stuff that that went along with it too. Sure. Yeah. I was just going to say a side note. Um, yeah. If you hear background noise, um, it's because we have some transitions going on in our office. So you and Jacob are in the process of switching offices. Um, obviously, you're not because you're recording, but Jacob right. is in the process of switching. So if you hear some uh, thumping and vacuuming, it's because we are uh, we're in the process of really getting back into it, right? Getting our our offices ready, our spaces ready to receive people. Um, so, you know. Anyway, just if you I realized that, that I have that way too many books as I was moving my office, I was like, oh my god, if yeah. I have to move another freaking book. It's <laughs> <laughs> a problem. So, anyways, um, yeah. So the music. Because we're not in a series, um, Mm -hmm. I tend to try to uh, let up on the gas a little bit for the music, too. It's it's a good time to return to some favorites that people Mm -hmm. just really enjoy singing. And I think we can always use a little bit more of that, especially now as people are still getting back in the hang of things of like coming to physical worship. you know, sitting closer to people without masks than they have in a right. long time. And so this, I, I really thought yesterday could use a little bit of comfort and familiarity. And so that's why we sang um, Come Thou Fount. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, though, I, I do try to just sprinkle a little bits of freshness in there. We're not going to do it the same exact way every time. And so yeah. yesterday, uh, Ben played guitar and Kyle played bass along with Farron on the piano and the choir. Um, Which I thought choir was just, really cool. Yeah, uh, going for this, you know, um, it sort of lightens it up, right? It mm-hmm. adds a different texture. I talk to the folk band a lot about we don't always just want to be this monolithic texture. We want to change it up. We want to have, you know, guitar on some songs or then ukulele on some songs, you know, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, and we also, so between each verse, no matter what the hymn is, Farron and I work really hard to play the hymns in harmony with who's going to be singing them. And so, uh, you know, especially if we go at a pretty brisk tempo, which we did, we did went pretty fast on Come Thou Fount, um, to give them time to breathe between the the stanzas, um, we do what's called a turnaround. So Farron just plays this little, you know, two-bar phrase, two-measure phrase. Um, But yesterday we made it really light and short and crisp. The the music word for that is staccato. Um, And so it was very, very short and bouncy, um, and I just thought it was so fun. I, I told Farron and Ben and Kyle, I was like, that's so cute. You don't think of a big, you know, traditional hymn as being cute, but I really wanted, I wanted to give people a little bit of a breath of fresh air. I love and that. then the folk band obviously bringing one of the congregation's, I think, favorite songs to sing, which is On My Knees. Um, 
it's easy to sing. It's only two lines of text, um, but it's so rich. And um, I, I hear people, you know, I hear people in the congregation singing the melody, but I also hear them picking out harmonies. And I hear them, you know, I, I look out and see some people singing with their eyes closed. And I think it's just a really lovely way for us to worship. Um, so again, we, we really... Oh, sorry. One more thing. We really do need to take a whole podcast and talk about the differences between like, quote unquote, traditional, modern, contemporary, mm-hmm. et cetera. But go ahead. Fun story. No, it's a good mixture. You, did, you uh, Even that first song, like you said, blending a little bit of the co- contemporary with the, I thought it was really great. But but uh, a fun story about that on my knees song was uh, we had a luncheon yesterday for people who have been new uh, at, at church since June, since we've been back in person. And um, this family came up, this couple came up and said, um, hey, who chose the Saren song for uh, for worship today? And I said, well, Rebecca, our worship director. I said, are you all Saren fans? And they're like, oh my gosh, we love Saren. Did you go see him when they played in Dallas recently? And I was like, no, I didn't get to go see him. But uh, we had this great conversation because uh, Saren's from North Texas and um, just an incredible band. And um, so they were they were really, like, they loved that you had chosen that song to be a part of worship. And they're like, we had never heard Saren sang in worship before. And I was like, yeah. I've always wondered, like, if these people, I know that, I'm pretty sure they went to UNT. Like, I've always wondered if yeah. they're, um, I assume they're people of faith simply based on the lyrics of their, their music. But I've always wondered, like, who who's going to steal them to come play worship for them? Because they're, like, <laughs> they're just, they're so fantastic. I love their music. Yeah. Yeah, at that same luncheon, I had a conversation with someone who, commented on a song from the previous Sunday and said, hey, I love Crooked Still. I love the band um, Crooked Still and that version of Ain't No Grave. And I was like, wow, mm-hmm. you've heard of Crooked Still. That is right. the first time I have had this conversation with anybody. Did, did you ask them if they knew why they were called Crooked Still? I didn't. We still I haven't have. figured out that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that's great. And I think mm-hmm. we should definitely set aside some time, um, maybe pull in somebody else who can add to the conversation because it's such a rich conversation and I say this a lot I think the dichotomy between secular and sacred is totally bogus um and and also you know even within sacred there are so many um delineations what style are you gonna you know what instrumentation um what groove whatever word you want to use what fill in the blank (laughs) that creates all these false dichotomies right that we don't need to live into but we just love to categorize so much. Our, our feeble little minds love those categorizations. Sure. No, I agree. Uh, yeah. And what, maybe one day we'll reach out to Saren and get them on the podcast. There we go. That'd be There's great. There's our, our challenge. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Okay, so tell me a little bit. So um, the end of worship was a little bit different. We had a, a hymn, yeah. but then we also had a postlude. Do you want to share we what, did. about that? Sure. Yeah. So um, if you are a church going person, um, especially in the traditional tradition, um, you are familiar with what postludes are. But if you're in the more contemporary tradition, um, you may not know. So a postlude, post meaning after, it's uh, it's the little bit of music that comes at the very, very end of the service. And different churches have different expectations. Um, in more formal settings that I've been at, it's very, it's expected and it's very, um, understood that after the the preacher gives his or her benediction you will remain in the space for the postlude and it's it's one more piece of the worship service it's not Mm. just exit music um and then in other spaces more like ours uh it really does function most of the time as exit music um so Mm -hmm. people start to get up and walk and get their stuff together and go out the door um but 
it was really neat yesterday because we had this instrumental ensemble, um, which has just been so much fun to work with. And they played two different things. They played the offertory, which was a setting of For the Beauty of the Earth. And then they played this little postlude, um, which was by Bela Bartok. Uh, also different for us. We don't do a lot of more classical music, um, but it was just, it was so energetic and peppy and fun. And I was like, we need to fit this into worship. And what I thought of was let's use this as a postlude. Let's use this as really a bookending marker of the worship space Um, because it's going to send people out, you know, with this wonderful energy and seeing their mom or their dad or their friend up there playing an instrument um, that we don't often use in worship, right? We had bassoon, trumpet, clarinet. Um, So even us with our broad range of instruments don't often have those. And so it was really nice to be able to hear that. Okay, so I want to read these off because these are the instruments that were played for the offertory. You had piano, flute, flute, and violin. Mm-hmm. And then for the postlude, you just mentioned most of them, piano, flute, bassoon, violin, clarinet, bass, and trumpet. Yep. I mean, that's incredible. <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's just wild, you know? Yeah. Like, it was just such a beautiful um, expression of music to, to end our service on. Um, one, I loved seeing all the musicians up there with all these different instruments. It was really incredible. But it was just, it really was beautiful. So so props and a huge shout out to the incredibly gifted musicians that we have in our congregation and, and your ability to, to bring them all together and create just beautiful music. Yeah. Yeah. And to, to think, too, that it doesn't have to be super complicated. You know, we have, because of the group that they are, we have three teachers um, and two working professionals. And so we don't have a lot of time to rehearse. So I send them the music and then we rehearse on Sunday mornings for a couple of weeks and then we go for it, you know? So it's this, um, it's a commitment on their part to work on their own and then come together and put the, the ensemble together. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah. I mean, I'm grateful for their time for sure. And, And grateful that it brings such a beautiful, um, a beautiful song to our, our worship. It's just really awesome. Yeah. We also got a lot of comments on the Shruti box, which I should have brought in here to show you on the podcast. Um, But it is a uh, if if you didn't hear it, it was that kind of like drone instrument on on my knees. Um, And it operates uh, kind of like an accordion, um, except the notes don't really change. It's just a drone instrument that works um, with a bellows. And so it's air pushing through the bellows that makes this beautiful drone sound. Um, but yeah, several people commented on that too. So we had a lot of instruments yesterday. There were so many instruments yesterday. Even just <laughs> listening to you and Dexter in our worship planning meeting, going over like the mic list of everything was, mm-hmm. was like, oh my gosh, y'all are crazy. Yeah. And yet it's, in, it's just incredible. Very complicated. Grateful for Dexter for making it all work so smoothly. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, yeah, I know we don't give Dexter shout outs enough, but the, our whole tech team up in the balcony making everything work is always really impressive too. Yeah. Yeah, and we didn't even talk about Mitchell's um, example of using Bruce. I wonder if he felt oh put on gosh, the spot, man. right? Or uh, he probably cleared it with him first. But I don't I think that he did because <laughs> he said, hey, is Bruce here today? I said, yeah, I saw him back there. And he was like, oh, good. Okay. <laughs> Maybe we should follow up with Bruce and see yeah, what right? his take was. It was a beautiful story, though. It was so nice. If you, haven't, if you don't know what we're talking about, go back and listen to the sermon. It was a very yeah. powerful um, example. Yeah. It really was. Yeah, he he found a phenomenal, again, metaphor on metaphor, but it was a really mm-hmm. great great story to to bring that story home, Yeah, that parable home. Well, so next week um, 
worship, we are spending some more time, some more time in the parables, but also mm-hmm. after worship, I uh, want to make sure that we invite everyone who's listening to November Fest. Um, <laughs> I disagree with Mitchell. I think that's a very creative name. I think Not it's great only name. because I came up with it. Um, but November Fest is going to consist of lunch together and then some kind of breakout options. So if you're a parent of a kid or a, or a teen, then you'll be invited to stay with Mitchell and Phil and just get an update on family ministries. Um, and then kids will have an opportunity to make a Christmas craft with Studio Bella, right? Is that yep. correct? I have and an then, email in my inbox to figure out what it is, but I haven't seen it yet, so to be determined. Okay, I'm sure it will be great. They do amazing I have stuff. No doubt. And uh, and then we invite some you know anybody who is able and interested to come and help decorate uh, the sanctuary and the church for Christmas. Then we stay for our charge conference, and I know that gets a bad rap, but I think charge conference is very important for us um, because, as you said, it's the business of the church, um, and it's the time that we get to meet together and we vote on leaders and we affirm the leaders in the church and let them know, hey, we have your back. We yeah. we want you to be a leader. We trust you to lead, and. Um, we're going to vote you into office, you know, yeah. officially. So we invite everyone to come to November Fest next week, November 21st. November 21st, right after church. And, yeah, I think charge conference is at 2. So we'll, it'll, it'll be a long day, but it'll be a day that will be really exciting. And yeah. I mean, even with this luncheon we had on yesterday, like there's, there's just a, a great sense of, hey, we're, we're edging back toward, you know, I don't want to call it normalcy, but this opportunity to actually share space again with people. And yeah. Even though I found myself like, this is a lot of people in a small room at one point. You know, like, it, I did it, too. Still, it still felt really good to yeah. be in space with people and to share a meal with people. And um, so we opened the windows to try less pressure blow through. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm excited to, to have everybody come and hang out and, and get to decorate the church and do all these fun things. Yeah, that'll be really it's good. It's good to be together. Well, thanks, Phil, for joining me. And yeah. um, we'll try to get. Not that I don't love having you as a conversation partner, but also in the coming weeks, we'll try to get some different voices. Um, And again, as we always say, if you have a question about worship, the why behind the worship, why we do what we do or say what we say, go ahead and email worship at wrumc.org. We'd love to answer some of your questions. So thanks, everybody. See you next week. Take care. The Day After Sunday is a production of White Rock Media Network. Join us next week for another look at the why behind the worship.